Hello and welcome to the Around the Nation podcast for the week of Monday, September 26th. I'm Pat Coleman. And I'm Keith McMillan. And this is uh, our weekly D3Football.com podcast where we uh, run down the week that was in Division 3, Week 4, an eventful one. But uh, Week 5, uh, looking ahead, we're going to be even more so with a lot of great games on the schedule. But uh, looking at uh, some of the things that happened this past weekend, Keith, um, I, I, I feel like this is a, uh, a, re- a repeating theme, but... You know, we kind of got some assurance yet again this week that everything beyond the top two, and that's uh, Wisconsin Whitewater and Mount Union, is is pretty much up in the air. Uh, talk about uh, Ohio Northern, and not just that they lost, but the fact that a lot of the other little pieces that were propping them up uh, kind of came apart this week as well. Uh, Co coming back, uh, Louisiana College proving it belongs, just all sorts of things all over the place. Yeah, and, and as you start to watch these dominoes fall, Pat, you, you, you knocked it right on the head there. It just makes everything we thought we knew, you know, three weeks ago or a month ago as we were heading into the season, uh, it, it just throws that further into doubt. And on one hand, while that's fun, you want to have a season where uh, unexpected things happen and there are upsets and and um, all kinds of reasons to make you want to watch every Saturday. It does make it awful hard to predict where this is all headed except for, you know, potentially another a seventh uh, all purple stag bowl. So, so let's talk about uh, one of the teams, and we've kind of talked in the previous weeks about, of course, the teams that have lost: North Central, Wesley, teams that we uh, had kind of penciled in to be contenders at least to get to the national semifinals. Now, Mary Harden Baylor hasn't lost yet, but I think it's fair to say they haven't looked great so far here uh, at this point in the season. And we didn't exactly get a very good scouting report on them out of uh, this weekend's games either. They've got uh, Louisiana College come up. Louisiana College is looking like they're on fire, firing on all cylinders. Yeah, and I think that's going to be the, the big test. You know, what kind of defense May Harden-Baylor has. You know, you, you kind of know their identity on offense. They're, they're going to run the ball and run it some more, run it some more, and then try to mix that pass in. But the question is, can they stop Louisiana College? And, and nobody's been able to stop them so far. You know, not only did they hang uh, 52 on Mississippi College this weekend, which had, had looked pretty good previously, but they, they, they hung it on them really quickly, you know, in dramatic fashion. It was, um, you know, short drives. Again, we talk about this, you know, every week when you, you, you dig into a box score, you know, you, you got it for Louisiana College, a two-play 90-yard drive. You got a three-play 90-yard drive and, you know, and, and a five-play drive. And these are the, the drives where they help build that 38-3 lead uh, midway through the third quarter. You know, there's nothing – I don't want to say there's, there's nothing fluky about that because uh, – well, I guess I, I do want to say there's nothing fluky about it because you hit, you hit one big play, it can be fluky. But you, you hit big plays over and over again, and, and it just means you're, you're tough to stop. And if you look back through the, uh, you know, the three wins now for Louisiana College, they're putting up 50 every week. You jump back also to last season. Remember, Mary Harden-Baylor had to break up a few pass plays in the end zone to hang on to beat Louisiana College. So this is a team, I think, uh, in the Wildcats that thinks maybe they're finally ready to make that leap in the American Southwest. And, and to make that leap, Mary Harden-Baylor is the team you have to beat. I want to get back to a little bit more in detail about Mary Harden-Baylor in a minute, but uh, before we do that, since we're talking about Louisiana College a little bit more, um, they they gave up, quote-unquote, 17 points. Um, there's this, there's this lapse and I was watching, I guess pretty much the entire second half of that game. There's this, uh, a span of about three minutes where, uh, the, uh, Mississippi college blocks a punt and returns it for a touchdown. And then on the, basically the next drive intercepts a pass and returns it 20 yards for a score. If not for 
those two scores, which by the way, of course, were not scored against the the uh, the Wildcats defense, yeah, that game would be even more embarrassing, fifty two to three perhaps instead of fifty two seventeen. Yeah, and then you and then you add that on to last week's game. They beat Millsaps fifty six to zero, and so you, you say you know against Division three teams, their defense has given up three points, and and they've hung one hundred and eight points on 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 Millsaps and Mississippi College. You, you got to look at this as a real dangerous team going going into Belton next weekend. Yeah, you know, they. So you mentioned Division three teams. Of course, uh, they opened the season against Bellhaven. That's a uh, that game was a, a triple overtime game. Uh, in which even at that, you know, they go three overtimes and only give up 24 points. Uh, also, you remember, uh, since Bellhaven's an NAIA team, not only the fact that they have the the scholarships, of course, but it was actually Bellhaven's second game. They had uh, they get to start their season a week earlier, so Bellhaven already had a game under its belt as well. Yeah, and and you know everything we've seen so far coming out of Louisiana College uh, this season looks good and you know they moved into the poll this week um moved up to, to number 19 and and kind of for those of us who aren't that familiar with them or for the voters who aren't that familiar you really wait to see that signature win now they've seen you've seen a nice win uh, against the Choctaws but but the the signature win is to beat Mary Harden Baylor and that's Really, not only if you if you want to be the team in the American Southwest, but if you want to be a recognized team in in the South region, you know you you want to set yourself up for a potential home game in the playoffs. Mary Harden Baylor is the team you have to beat, and the reason they're the team you have to beat is because uh, every year when it comes when when they have a big game, when Mary Harden Baylor has this big game against whoever the number two team is in the American Southwest, and it's very often Harden Simmons, they always seem to respond. Uh, Saturday was their 12th win now in, in 13 games against uh, Harden-Simmons. Seems like a rivalry, but uh, result-wise, it's not much of one. So we we mentioned Mary Harden-Baylor. Yeah, they have been throwing the ball more uh, the last couple of years, and uh, Ladaro Bailey on Saturday, 16 of 20 passing for two touchdowns and an interception. The the knock on Mary Harden-Baylor from the week before, the, the game against McMurray, uh, where they had to hold on against the two-point conversion, was that, you know, perhaps that Mary Harden Baylor got uh, away from its core a little bit, or you know, Bailey may have made some poor decisions. Threw a couple of interceptions. Uh, he threw just one interception, and he was like I said, 16 of 20 passing. They they're spreading the ball around in the backfield. Maybe they don't have a dominant running back, but uh, they're still able to move the ball. Yeah, and and that's what you want to see out of out of them. You know, the the key statistic you mentioned the 16 to 20 a couple of times. So that's only four incomplete passes, one interception. You know, a few turnovers. Also, eight of 13 on third downs. So they're they're efficient. You know, they're they're not burning a lot of plays with with incomplete passes, and uh, and, and making bad decisions. And that's what you want to see from uh, from from Bailey if you're a Mary Harden Baylor fan. You know. Because they don't, they're they're not going to throw the ball 30, 40 times a game. So when they do drop back to pass, you want they they want to see those be positive plays and uh, and uh, ten yards per per pass on Saturday, and uh, good split I thought too. They were really balanced. Two hundred forty four yards rushing, two hundred one yards rushing. Kept the Harden Simmons defense uh, off balance, and and for a team that prides itself on the run, if they can pass enough. To you know, to make some some big plays in the passing game and keep a defense off balance, it makes them that much more dangerous. Yeah, Keith, I would have liked to have seen them debut a little bit higher in the poll. Even they were, uh, I know they were basically coming in as a as an other receiving vote. They were not on a lot of people's ballots. Um, it's kind of hard to go from you know somewhere in the high twenties to somewhere in the mid teens. But I think that's a little bit more accurate. I think that Louisiana College is 
got a very good chance of winning that game at Mary Harden Baylor on Saturday. Yeah, but but you know, voters are sometimes slow to catch on to the new team, and and we all probably are all guilty of it. It takes us a little while to, to bring that team in that that started the preseason out to, out of the poll, or or they start lower in the poll, or they're just not a team that consistently every year has won. You know, we, when when you start off your ballot at the beginning of the year, the first teams you're always thinking about is is Whitewater, Mountain Union, Mary Harden, Baylor, Wesley. You know, now it's been last couple of years Bethel and St. Thomas, or somebody from Minnesota and somebody from the CCIW. And those are really the teams that are always at the top of the group. And then somebody else sort of, you know, glides up there and rounds out the, the top 10. And, and that's most of those guys, uh, you know, I guess you put Linfield in that group too, but you, but most of those goes, those teams are the teams that are in there right now. And so it takes somebody to beat one of them uh, to, to really move up into that group, top 15, top 10, and, and earn that kind of respect. And we've seen it already happen a couple of times this season with, uh, you know, Redlands, beating North Central, Kane beating Wesley, those teams, they get that respect, and they've moved into the top 15 now, and uh, now it's Louisiana College's turn to uh, to do that, to, to earn that respect, but, but you got to do it by by earning that win and not just playing a good game down in Texas and saying, oh, well, we, we, we're right there with them, we match up with them. You know, they have to earn that win to earn that respect. And I think that also, um, you mentioned sometimes voters are slow to come around. I, I think there's like a there's often a second week bounce after a big game. You, uh, you you get the big win, and then if you, I don't know if you necessarily if you have to prove it per se, or just the fact that you know you're there and oh by the way shoot these guys were number 19 last week I should be looking at them more closely. It does seem like sometimes there's a bounce the next week and, and teams continue to move up. Uh, one of the other teams that uh, surprised this week, I guess, uh, I you know I mentioned this game in triple take because I thought Dubuque was going to uh, put itself on the radar and they did with the uh, the first win against Central since, you know, to be honest with you, since a lot of these players were practically in diapers, they uh, beat them and beat them handily 56 to 28. Well, and again, if you look back at the, the history of Dubuque too, there was, there was a year, a few years ago, where it looked like they were turning the corner. They finished seven and three, I believe. And, uh, and then it's sort of, they, they, they fell back for a few years. And so you got Stan Zweifel there now. And, um, this is the first year, you know, they're they're four and zero now, and they've only won four games all last season. So this is the year where they're really turning the corner. And, and the impressive thing uh, you mentioned it in the write up uh, on Saturday was that it wasn't all uh, Mike Mike Zwiefel with the with the um, the offense. You know, he had sixteen catches for two hundred thirty two yards, but they had another receiver in uh, in Fleming who had ten catches for one hundred and twenty nine yards, and in they were you know they're they're scoring. Uh, they're they're doing it offensively, but I but I was also impressed that uh, that that they didn't allow Central to establish itself at all on offense, and it really was a uh, pretty impressive win, fifty six to twenty eight on Saturday. Yeah, you know, Mike Zuiful came into the season as already the fourth most prolific receiver in uh, college football history at all levels, according to the uh, NCAA record book, uh, with three hundred and twenty three catches. He's got. Uh, 47 already this season to put him uh, in sole possession of third place. Uh, and, uh, you know, number one, uh, for those of, uh, who have been around for a little bit longer, you might remember that the uh, that the number one receiver in terms of receptions all time, not in just in Division three but in all of college football, is Scott Pingle from Westminster of Missouri. Uh, he had 436 catches in his four years there, over 6,000 yards. Uh, the yards, um, you know, they're going to be a little bit hard to catch. Uh, Zwiefel was about 2,000 yards behind that, but he needed 113 receptions to tie, 114 to break, and 47 catches through four games. He is, uh, He's in the hunt. 
that was that was one of our questions in in kickoff, Pat. We said, you know, uh, Tanny, Coppage, Zwiefel all can uh, can break one of the all time D three records. You know, rushing, passing, and receiving. And and a lot of us didn't think. You know, you just thought Zwiefel he would really have to put up monster numbers this season to get to that point. But yeah, forty seven catches, Pat. That that's absurd. And now you see that he's doing it in in big games against sixteen catches against Central is impressive. And I think really what what Saturday did. Um, in that conference, you know, turn the conference on its head because, yeah, here you have Co. we thought was going to be really good, off to a rough start, and then they turn around, win at Warburg, and then you have Dubuque, you know, upsetting Central, which is, you know, for, for a lot of years was the class of the conference, and now you have, you look at, at Iowa, and you don't know exactly who's the team to beat. No, you don't. Um, well, and we talked about it two weeks ago, um, you know, that it wasn't time to panic, and, you know, now... If you're a St. John's fan, that was one of the teams we talked about this, that week. Um, you guys already know it's time to panic. You don't need us to tell you that. Um, the uh, But the Iowa Conference, you know, Coe still had everything in front of it. And even though they had just had a, a puzzling slash embarrassing loss to uh, Olivet Nazarene, which had lost 18 consecutive games, uh, you still have the whole conference schedule in front of you. And they've uh, made uh, good work of it so far. You know, you got to beat... Uh, the conventional wisdom, or at least the history, suggests you got to beat Warburg, you got to beat Central. Uh, now, obviously, this year you definitely have to beat Dubuque as well. But Coe's gotten Warburg out of the way. Yeah, and you know the, the turnaround they're going to have to to go to Central uh, next week. So Coe, it doesn't get doesn't get a whole lot easier. Central's got to uh, you know try to bounce back. But it um it it is sort of an endorsement, I guess, of the of the automatic qualifier system where, you know, you can schedule this game at Harden-Simmons for your opener. Go down to Texas, you know, get a different look at, at a team, level of team that you might see in the playoffs. Um, you know, I, we kind of analyzed the the loss of Olivet Nazarene as sort of just um, having that emotional drop-off and not being able to get get up for a big game. And then, uh, and then Simpson and Warburg Central, you know, these games now, these are conference games, and, and there's no trouble getting up for them. And, uh, and right now, Coe's, you know, winning two games, both their, their conference wins are close wins. But at the same time, you know, they can run this schedule. They don't play Dubuque now until uh, until the end of the season. So if they, if they would be win at Central this weekend, you know, they could knock off Luther, Loris, Buena Vista and before they have to play Dubuque and then uh, set up a real big clash in the beginning of November. And, you know, to be honest with you, Keith, uh, Coe could have very easily, I don't know, mailed it in, given up at halftime. They were down 17 nothing. Uh, you know, they had, you know, to be honest with you, the week before a close win against Simpson is not necessarily such a great thing. Um, you know, Simpson hasn't been uh, world beaters in, in a few years now, but, uh, you know, Co came back and, and won that game and, and Brad Boyle seems to have his, uh, his feet back under him again. He was 19 to 26 passing just through one interception. Uh, he was the leading rusher with uh, 76 yards on the ground. And if, if he's firing on all cylinders, then Co's going to be very difficult to beat, obviously. Yeah, and, and I think now we've we've taken a look at the American Southwest. We've taken a look at Iowa. Those are two conferences where everything is sort of you know turned on its head, I guess, in in the sense that there's there's you know dominant teams, there's top twenty five teams, but there's also uh, teams you expected to be good that aren't up there yet, and then there's sort of surprise teams in, in the running. And I think the other conference that really stands out from that, from that group. Um, it doesn't have the dominant team, doesn't have the top 25 team, but it's certainly got a bunch of teams in the running is, is, uh, is the Southern SCAC. Yeah. I mean, the SCAC is a conference, of course, that doesn't even have its defending champ. That's, uh, that's DePauw, who, uh, is, 
in a kind of a limbo year this year for football between the SCAC and the North Coast Athletic Conference, who they will uh, join next year. They're in the conference for every other sport this year. But you're left with uh, seven teams, uh, three of whom are undefeated. Uh, and the one that I think is the most intriguing and maybe not necessarily such a surprise is Birmingham Southern. Well, yeah, it's not a surprise again if you if you read kickoff and, and that was one of the teams I, I pegged in the um – in the beyond the top 25 because they were six and four last year. I think they lost their four games. Uh, none of them were, were, I think one was by 11 and then the rest of them were by under 10 points. So, you know, they're in every game in the fourth quarter and teams like that are, are generally the teams you look at for, for, to make that jump the next season, because all they need to do is, is win one big game. And then, then when they have the confidence that they can win those games, you know, and it's, it's not just the players confidence, but it's the coaches, uh, you know, have the confidence in the, in the way they call the games in the fourth quarter, all that stuff, you know, it, it sounds um, esoteric, I guess, but it, re it really is the kind of stuff that matters and makes a difference. And I think Birmingham Southern now, you know, they're, they're off to this four and zero start three of the wins are on the road. Uh, and the other win, the home win is, is the one that probably we would look at right now and say, that's the big victory for them to date. Uh, is beating Huntington, which turned around and had this had this big win against Hampton Sydney on Saturday. So now you got Birmingham Southern four and zero. Trinity is the other team that's four and zero, and they they're um, you know they're they're not the, the dominant team they once were, and that was another thing we wrote about kickoff. You know, Trinity trying to get back to that that uh, that dominant level, and uh, they're there four wins now. I haven't beaten anybody great, but it, this is the way the the SCAC is right now because one of its best teams, you know, is gone. And, and quite honestly, if DePaul was still in the conference, they wouldn't be at the top of it right now anyway, given that they, they lost to Rhodes on Saturday. So you, you got this group of teams and, and nobody really stands out. And you, so, so you, who knows? Is it Trinity? Is it Birmingham Southern? Is it center? Uh, yeah. I, I don't know who, who to look for out of that conference. Yeah. And, and you mentioned, um, you know, Trinity beat Millsaps on Saturday, 10 to three. Uh, you know, I, I, I guess a couple of chip shot field goals with Trinity could have made the score different, but I don't think it changes the uh, the nature of the game necessarily, Keith. Um, Millsaps is one and three with its three losses to some pretty good teams, Mississippi College, Louisiana College, and Trinity. So, you know, Millsaps could very easily finish up seven and three, six and four, and end up uh, looking fairly decent. Well, not a, with Tarleton State on the schedule, but, you know, aside from all that. Um, the uh, the thing is, is just this back-to-back -back comparison of uh, losing to Louisiana College 56 to nothing and then losing to Trinity 10 to 3. That's what Millsap's last two weeks are. Right, and it, it tells you a little bit about the comparative strength uh, of at least the offenses they're facing. Louisiana College, it, it seems pretty much no fluke. They can put up points, you know. And so if Millsap's gives up 56 one week and then, and then Trinity turns around and scores 10 on them, it, it certainly is a pretty... Um, it's a comparison between the, at least the offensive strength of the two teams. Trinity is uh, they're four and zero, but they're certainly not looking nearly as dominant as some of the other um, undefeated teams. You know, we have around around that area. You know, I think center. You know, we probably should should talk about them. I didn't know quite what. You know, I thought last year was one of the years they would turn the corner. They end up being six and four, three and three in the conference. Um, you know, the year before seven seven and two. So you. We've kind of been waiting for this this big jump from from center, and it hasn't happened. But um, it's wide open this year. It, the conference is there for the taking, and whichever team, uh, I guess, you know, finds itself not just you know we, we see these units where they're they're kind of good offensively, or they've got a good defense, 
but but whichever one puts it all together and down the stretch run here, you know, is going to is going to win a conference that's open for the taking and then uh, have a playoff bid to go with it. I got to take this out on a uh, tangent here for a second. Uh, we talked about Trinity. Uh, Trinity got some votes this week in, in our poll, the D3Football.com top 25, which I think is fair. Um, but, you know, last week they were ranked in the AFCA poll, ranked 24th. Hampton Sydney was ranked 14th in the AFCA poll. Um it just kind of points out some of the differences. I, I just don't get. I don't think that the uh, that strength of schedule is quite as well understood by the AFCA panel. And, and for the other, you know, there are some teams obviously that didn't look very good in our poll either uh, this week. Ohio Northern among them, uh, but Ohio Northern was ranked nine in both polls. Um, you know, Harden Simmons was ranked in the twenties in both polls. I, I I think the big differences are the Hampton Sydney and the and Trinity right now. We we've kind of always in our poll rewarded those teams who have gone out and scheduled those those big uh, preseason games. Uh, Redlands and North Central is a good example. Kane taking on Wesley is a good example of when you when you do it and you win, it, it really boosts you up. You know, Kane certainly wouldn't be uh, ranked in the top ten without without playing and beating a team like Wesley. And then you have those games, you know, the Coe and Harden Simmons, where they look like great top twenty-five games, but then the teams don't follow them up with with um, with wins, and then they both drop out of the poll. And that's that happens in every poll. And no matter how much you you, you reward strength of schedule, you know, if teams don't back it up, winning down the road, then you know, then then the poll from a few weeks ago looks silly. But that kind of goes back to the whole theme of the podcast, Pat, where what we thought we knew at the beginning of September. Now we get to the end of September here and it, it, a lot of it's different and that makes for a fun season to watch, but it certainly makes for a tough one to analyze. For what it's worth, I think Kane is the one in the D3Football.com top 25 that is the most troublesome or, you know, in a uh, in a position to uh, to do what, for example, what uh, hampton Sydney did on Saturday. Um, one other conference that's wide open and we talked about the SCAC not having its defending champ how about the Empire 8 having you know two now uh NCA tournament contenders the the one that won the conference last year and then uh one that uh, was in the uh was, that was in the ACFC last year and went to the playoffs as well so Pat, I, the Empire 8 I think you you mentioned yeah the two teams Alfred and Salisbury right now on top 3 and 0 each 1 and 0 in the Empire 8 and we thought there would be maybe as many as five teams in the mix there with Springfield, St. John Fisher and, and Ithaca all, you know, potentially being pretty tough as well. And it, it hasn't panned out that way. You know, Alfred looks really good. Salisbury looks a little bit up and down. And uh, Fisher was the one that really surprised me uh, this past weekend, losing uh, to 56-20 to Hobart. He kind of doubts, he makes me doubt where, where they're going to be, uh, if, if they're going to be able to, to, to hang here in this Empire 8 race. It may just be Alfred and Salisbury. Yeah, I the the one yeah. To be honest with you, uh, uh, that's a puzzler. Um, the thing that you know, of course, jumps out at me, of course, is that Hobart had three weeks to prepare for this game. Uh, they haven't played since uh, their week one win at Dickinson, and you know, in three weeks you can get a lot done. But then again, you got to figure you're also going to come out pretty fired up and uh, be looking to hit somebody other than uh, you know one of your teammates. Those are the, the two things I can think of. But this is on the road. You know, that's a that's a huge thing. And, and as much as you have three weeks of preparation, you know, you could come back and conversely say, well, you could look pretty rusty after two weeks of not playing either. See, I I, I would have went in that direction. I would think after a couple of weeks of no games, you get you'd be a little stale. 
you know, and uh, and Hobart opened up with uh, with Dickinson, big win down in Pennsylvania, September third, and then doesn't play again till the twenty fourth of September. They have to go to St. John Fisher, a team that's coming off a huge victory in the Courage Bowl. You think they're they're riding high? They'd have everything going for them, and and Hobart just blows them out of the water, and uh, that was certainly one of the big shockers in a weekend full of shockers. You know, you mentioned the Dubuque. We we haven't mentioned Augsburg or Muskingum yet, but there there was a bunch of shockers this weekend. And, uh, and that one was right up there with, with the best of them. Um, you know, the, the, the Hobart had balance on offense. They never let St. John Fisher get rolling uh, with its offense. And it was, it was just a total surprise, uh, I, I thought, for, for at least from far. Yeah, St. John Fisher was on the field uh, on offense for less than 22 minutes in that game. And it's, uh, you know, scoring 20 points in 21 minutes is actually not such a bad thing. Um, you mentioned uh, Muskingum, and we talked uh, just briefly in the intro about how things kind of fell apart for Ohio Northern this week. Of course, yeah, obviously they lost uh, by 20 to Muskingum. Uh, the Look back at the two teams that they've beaten, uh, North Carolina Wesleyan, uh, which uh, lost to Ohio Northern in week one, lost to Hampton-Sydney in week two. That's not uh, you know necessarily such a big surprise. And they lost at LaGrange this past weekend, which uh, was, you know, LaGrange is traditionally kind of been uh, a uh, a little brother program, so to speak, to Huntingdon. Huntingdon started a year earlier and has more or less been the better of the two uh, independent programs in the Deep South. And then you go back at the other win, of course, that Ohio Northern had was a, a one-point home win against Otterbein, and now Otterbein is 1-2 and two with the only win against Gallaudet in overtime. It, certainly the things that have happened since week one you know, make that make that those results make a lot more sense, especially with regard to Ohio Northern. But I didn't see the the Muskingum Ohio Northern thing coming in, and the thing that makes it even more amazing is it wasn't a uh, game that came down to a two point conversion like a lot of those games did. Uh, you know, a week ago, Muskingum, you know, built a, they, they went score for score and then slowly built the lead and and defended it over the course of the game. And even though Ohio Northern outgained Muskingum three twenty eight three twenty two. Yeah, Muskingum with seven sacks, uh, forced a few turnovers, and and basically w- was crafty. I think in the way they won that game, you know, didn't there wasn't anything fluky about it. You you get that it's a seven seven game in the first quarter, and then you build build the lead over over the course of the game, and and begin to pull away. It ends up being a twenty seven seven win by Muskingum. You can't say well they they just. This got us this one time, you know, with this one lucky player or anything like that. I mean, that's pretty serious. And now you got a a three and O Muskies team sitting at the top of the OAC standings right next to Mount Union. Yeah, and you know, Keith, I almost don't know even know what to say about the Muskingum program. They haven't had a winning record since we started D3Football.com, and that's going back 13 seasons now. And and that's in a conference too, where there's been a good bit of turnover. For the number two and number three team, you know, we've seen John Carroll have good years and Capital had a nice run and Baldwin Wallace and Otterbein's come up from the bottom and just about everybody, you know, Heidelberg is on their way up now. Just about everybody's had a turn in the top half of the standings, except for Wilmington and Muskingum in that conference. That's opposed to, say, the Minnesota conference where, you know, obviously St. John's has been there for quite some time. Bethel's been in and out, mostly in for the past decade. St. Thomas was out and now has cemented its way back in. But um, it had been uh, it had been 13 years since Augsburg had uh, beaten St. John's, and it had been 30 years since Augsburg won at St. John's. And now, you know, we mentioned briefly er- earlier, it might be time to panic for St. John's that the Johnnies are 
two and two overall, uh, one and one in the conference, and headed towards a showdown with a, a, a arch rival who seems to be uh, clicking on all cylinders. And, and you can look at that either way. You can look at uh, at this week coming up. It's it's Johnny Tommy week or Tommy Johnny week, depending on which side you're uh, or the rivalry you're on. Maybe who who you put in front. But but yeah, they have a chance to you know salvage the season, jump back into the conference race this year or it could get ugly and, and it could get bad, you know, with, with a bad loss to St. Thomas. So really for St. John's they're they're looking at this week, the way they look at it all the time, which is, you know, you want to beat St. Thomas for all the, the reasons you want to beat your rival, but they also need it now um, just, just to salvage, you know, the, the record. I mean, to, to try to stay on the right track for the season. I, I thought the amazing thing about the Augsburg game, of course, was just the way that it ended on, on a 32 yard touchdown pass. Yeah, and uh, and going 80 yards in basically 18 seconds to uh, come back and win that game. And then, of course, officials realizing, I guess, about 15 minutes after the game that they had to come out and uh, attempt the extra point or at least take the snap for the extra point because if, you know, Augsburg had uh, elected to kick the extra point, St. John's blocks it, returns it the other 97 yards for a defensive two-point conversion, St. John's could come back and win that game. And I, I, that would have been the, the most amazing finish to a game possibly ever if uh, if Augsburg had uh, had been made to kick that and, uh, and St. John's had blocked it and, and run it back. But uh, they did a smart thing. They kneeled it and and left uh, Collegeville with a uh, for for a program like Augsburg. That that's a historic victory. It, it's it's really um, you know they're they're now three and zero, but that's one they can hang their hats on when they go around Minnesota and recruit. You know, you say you beat St. John's. That that still means something, even though. I think St. John's is, is probably not the St. John's they were, uh, you know, five or seven years ago. Frank Hagee, the uh, Augsburg coach, said on the pregame show, because I was listening to St. John's radio uh, pregame, um, he said, you know, that they were 2-0, and felt pretty good about their season, but they'd beaten two teams that they thought they were pretty much on the same level as, and that was uh, Concordia, Wisconsin, and Hamlin. Uh, you know, St. John's, even in a bad year, is on a completely different level than those two teams. Yeah, and, and that's what I mean when you get a chance to, to have a win and you can hang your hat on. And, and now they, they go forward, you know, they start to play Bethel and, and St. Thomas and, and Concordia Moorhead and, and prove that uh, that Saturday wasn't a fluke or that it's just just a bad year for St. John's. You know, they, they can build off this, and uh, that, that's really what they, they need to do, and that's what we'll be watching for, whether they, uh, this, was, this was kind of a fluky win with, the, with a fluky ending or was it something that that indicates that Augsburg may be a little bit of a contender in, in a conference full of contenders, really, uh, this season? Well, certainly at least in a position to play spoiler, uh, as they already have uh, spoiled St. John's homecoming here uh, in week four. Um, one other game that happened you know, now fairly long ago, uh, it was on Thursday night with uh, Wisconsin Stout hosting Wisconsin Oshkosh in one of the uh, the Carner Bowl games, as I've dubbed them, the uh, the games that the WIA Conference Office mandated that uh, conference teams play against each other to save costs uh, in in searching for non-conference games. Um, Oshkosh just came out and manhandled Stout fifty-six to ten. Uh, you know, Oshkosh has had uh, Nate Ware at quarterback. This is his, basically his third season now, uh, and he is a guy who, you know, if if you let him get loose. Uh, he could run for, you know, as he did, uh, 150 some yards uh, in the first half. Had several big runs and and led them on quick scoring drives. And I and I don't want to say that Oshkosh is necessarily a clear number two in that conference because Eau Claire obviously has played pretty well this season. Uh, Platteville's uh, played well, and they have to play uh, uh, those two teams 
again, obviously. Oshkosh uh, went down to Mountain Union and, and didn't look as good against Mountain Union this year as they did uh, at home back in 2010. But, you know, they've got a, they've got a weapon on offense that could uh, create matchup problems for a lot of teams. Yeah, and, and there's this group now right right below Whitewater. I met, Pat, you mentioned the, really the three that I think have stood out so far in, uh, in, in um, Platteville, Oshkosh, and, uh, and, and Eau Claire. We don't know is the WIAC going to be a two-team conference, you know, uh, when it comes to playoff time, and and we we don't know that anywhere. But you're looking at the OAC doesn't necessarily have a number two team that's definite. You know, the WIAC doesn't have a definite number two Northwest Conference. You know, you can't tell if they're going to have two the two great teams. So really, I know it's early, and it should be like this to a degree where where some of these things are are wide open. Um, but by the same token, you, you, this is unusual for us for for some of these conferences, I think especially Wisconsin and, and Ohio, to not really have a strong number two emerge, uh, even early in the season, you know, we sort of we sort of come to expect it, and that's that's what makes these seasons fun to watch, you know, where when when the, the bottom becomes the top and the middle becomes the the upper middle and all that stuff, uh, it, it really does make the the observing big picture stuff uh, kind of enjoyable. It would be very interesting to see what would happen if. We get to Selection Sunday, and Oshkosh is 8-2 and two with a non-region loss to Mount Union and an in-region loss to Wisconsin-Whitewater. Exactly what happens with Oshkosh, whether they make the field. It's been a while since the, uh, since the NCAA has taken a, a two-loss team, an 8-2 and two team, with a uh, Pool C bid as an automatic bid conference runner-up. But only one of those losses would be in region, and they would be to the two teams that have played in the national championship game for the past six years. And, and and this goes back to that that year where you know, Dick Kaiser was on the committee and and they took Eau Claire I think instead of Whitworth maybe it was yes and, and mm-hmm. they were they were they were rewarding playing a tough schedule and and there there are implications I think when when the committee takes those teams that tells the coaches okay I can I can schedule tough early in the season because I can still uh, try to win my conference if I don't win my conference they're going to take an honest look at, at at us as an eight and two team. And I think what had kind of happened last was I believe it was last year where you know it, it was starting it was getting to the point with North Central is the example that I thought in my mind they played uh, Ohio Northern they they scheduled these tough games early and they felt like if they lost and then they lost one CCIW game now they're an eight and two team that's not even going to get a playoff sniff whereas you know you you bring up bring up this Oshkosh situation where if if you're if they win eight games and their losses are to Mountain Union and to Whitewater, and of course we're getting ahead of ourselves, we're assuming they're going to lose to Whitewater, right. which is, is not necessarily the case. And assuming uh, they're going to win six other games. Right, right. There's plenty of assumption here, but there there really should be some way for the for the committee to take a look at that eight and two and say that's not the same as um, going nine and one with one good opponent in your conference schedule and a whole bunch of uh, easy teams to win. And there are a few conferences I could name. I'll try to be nice. I won't, I won't name them right now, but um, there were, there was at least one of them was a conference that played its biggest game of the season on Saturday. <laughs> I thought we weren't. Okay. So I'm scratching Wisconsin Oshkosh off my list and we're moving on to the next item in the rundown as we come to the lightning round here on the, uh, d3football.com around the nation podcast a little bit over halfway through um yeah we've talked about a couple of these items already keith but uh let's uh start off with union well 
surprising that 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 union was even on a nine game losing streak that they had to break one uh on saturday because that was a program that really wasn't all that long ago really just a couple years ago it was right there with hobart and some years rpi as the class of the liberty league and uh finally a big victory for them to, to, to stop that slide yeah hobart lost the uh the final six games of last season and then they lost the first three of this season um they lost, as we remember, on the last-second field goal at Salve Regina in Week 1. They lost at the last second to uh, Utica, basically, in Week 2. And then they got handled by Ithaca last week. But, you know, there, you know, there are some times in there in that stretch, you know, that 2-7 and seven just looks so odd on the, uh, on the uh, Union schedule page from last year. That they were not necessarily in a lot of games last year, but they were close against Hobart. They were close against Merchant Marine, which is a game that I, I think they probably shouldn't have lost uh, they were it, it was kind of a deceiving so to speak nine losses because they were not out of a lot of those games well and, and by the same token they didn't run away uh with with the win against rochester on saturday uh it, it took you know all of uh, all of uh drew Connolly's 363 yards three touchdown passes to justin gallo um to, to pull out that victory on Saturday, but it was really one for, for that program. And, you know, there, there's some people that we work with that are, that are pretty close to the program and, and congrats to the union, you know, because you, you never like to see, even though, you, you know, you try not to have your favorites. We always like to see um, programs that, that, that lose a lot. We always like to see them come up, but sometimes that means somebody else that's been good for a long time has to go down and, and you hate to see that. North Park is one of those teams that has been down for a long time. They're three and zero in the uh, in the non conference schedule. Not the first time that's happened. They were they also uh, ran the table in the non conference in two thousand five, but they haven't won a conference game since two thousand. And and that's the big hurdle for them. You know, I I got to saw see them play a good portion of their game last year against Carthage when I was out in Wisconsin. It was a night game, and I uh, was close enough drive. From, uh, from an afternoon game at Whitewater where I could get there and, and watch them play. And the thing I, that I was encouraged um, by watching North, North Park was that, you know, they were, they've been this team, that, again, you know, you, I mean, when you when you go there as a recruit, you, you, they, I'm sure they don't tell you, hey, we haven't won a CCIW game since 2000 um, against Elmhurst, but you, you must know, you must figure it out at some point that we, that we you start off the season well every year and then you struggle in the conference. But they were in it. They were into it. They really, they really thought they had a chance to beat Carthage and uh, and and uh, didn't work out for them that weekend. But I wonder if if they're close to a breakthrough at some point. You know, you just can't keep on, um, can't lose forever. And uh, but I think you can't also. You feel like one of these years they start. They have this good start, and I know they don't play necessarily CCIW quality teams always at the beginning of the year. But but you feel like one of those years. That, uh, that 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 good start is going to pan out for them, and they'll, and they'll sneak up on somebody in the uh, in the conference. Well, and they, you know, they they beat Benedictine last year. They beat Benedictine again this year. They beat Aurora. You know, they've beaten two of the teams that we kind of expect to be uh, Northern Athletic Conference uh, championship contenders. And then they beat WashU this past weekend. I, I think the thing about North Park is uh, depth has always been an issue, uh, and they seem to so far be keeping their kids relatively healthy. Um, and they're, uh, you know, they're, they're uh, gaining some experience running the triple option. You know, it's, uh, it's sometimes it takes a little while for a quarterback to be comfortable with it. And they, uh, they certainly dominated the clock, which is one of the things that that offense is really good at. They held the ball for more than 40 minutes. And it's, uh, you know, I guess if you're looking at a, uh, 
at a down spot, it's the fact that they had the ball for 40 minutes but only scored 13 points. But then the uh, the bright side is, of course, they kept the other team's offense off the field. You know, the thing too about North Park that uh, that that jumps out to me is that they're in one of those situations with their football program where we've seen schools kind of get dominated or be a, be you know what they might like to say where we weren't a good fit for that league. You know, they get dominated in one league, then they switch they switch conferences, and all of a sudden they're right there at the top of the other conference. You know, and and there's a couple of examples in the Northeast where that's happened. Uh, it's happened in the Midwest. You know where a team has has moved conferences and not a good fit. Decides we're going to go somewhere else. That's more of a more of a fit, but also you know they mean they mean we're going to be more competitive. But the thing for North Park, Pat, and you you probably could speak to this more than I could, is that they're competitive in, in most every other sport. And then their they their football program is good enough to beat teams from other conferences. They just not not at that level in the CCIW. Yeah, well, I mean they're decent in other sports. They're not uh, great. They there's uh, I think the probably the signature sport there is soccer. They have a, a very good men's soccer program. I, I think it's a it's a credit to North Park that they've stayed in the CCIW. It's been a long time since there's been uh, any membership changes in the CCIW. Um, you know, they there've been talks the last couple of years that maybe they might add a couple schools, uh, maybe the uh, you know, maybe St. Norbert comes out of the Midwest Conference. Uh, so maybe they expand to 10. I haven't really heard a whole lot of talk about North Park leaving, although certainly from a competitive standpoint, they're a, and, uh, they're a much better fit for the Northern Athletics Conference and, and geographically um, that works for them as well. Uh, you know, North Park is, um, it's, a, it's a city school. It's not necessarily uh, a very richly endowed institution. Um, you know, they're a, uh, they they they've struggled to compete in a lot of sports, but if you know they've <laughs> they've struggled a lot worse than this in football. You know they're they had four years in a row where they went one and nine, and you know some of those wins were you know against uh, against again Benedictine when Benedictine was uh, a lot farther down than they were now. Uh, they beat Eureka a couple years in a row, and Eureka's out of you know, one of the worst conferences in Division Three. So, you know, North Park is certainly making strides in the right direction. I think if they keep kids healthy, um, you know, they'll be more competitive. The The most winnable game is the one coming up this weekend at Elmhurst. And and, and there's a, it's a big week, really, in, in the CCIW. You know, not just that one at the, at the bottom of the group, but uh, you got the uh, Wheaton going to Illinois West, and you have North Central playing Carthage. So it, the CCIW is always fun to watch at the beginning of the year because – um, they you know win a whole bunch of non-conference games and and we're looking at it right now uh, only only this is low for them only four undefeated teams you know there's been seasons where there's been six or seven teams go three and zero oh, but when they when they get to this week in the season where they start their conference play but uh, only four this weekend and they uh they uh they couple of them play each other and then North Park of course is, is one of them so good for them uh, I dragged this out so I wasn't very lightning in the, in this lightning round how about Wilkes. You know, just a little bit of a surprise in the uh, in the MAC because Widener looked really good uh, last week, and uh, Wil- Wilkes turns around and, uh, and and makes that conference another one of the conferences. Maybe we should have put them in the group at the with the group in the beginning, where uh, you know we don't know who who's going to pull away. You got Del Val at, on the top, but they have so many new starters on offense. You just don't know what we're going to get out of them from week to week. Yeah, and uh, Albright's uh, up with them at the top of the conference, but they kind of run the gauntlet here the next few weeks, like coming Delaware Valley and Lebanon Valley coming up for them. And Lebanon Valley, you know, shows quite a bit of offense so far. So uh, the Mac is going to be another one of the races that'll be pretty fun to watch. How about Saint Scholastica? 
uh, it's just surprised to see them off to such a good start, you know, a young program. And uh, it takes a couple of years sometimes for these young programs to turn the corner. Sometimes they, they have good seasons, but they don't have, you know, they're not good seasons, but they're improving. But you don't see it in the record. St. Vincent is the one that comes to mind. Um, where they, there were years where they got better, but you didn't see it reflected in the record right away. And I think since the last go, we're starting to see the improvement uh, reflected in the record, which is credit to them. Yeah, I mean, St. Celestica goes from 1-7 and seven its first year. This is just the fourth year that they've had football. This is a uh, Catholic school up in Duluth, Minnesota. Uh, they were 1-7, 4-6, 7-3, and, seven, four and, six, seven and, three, and well, they could go 10-0. Uh, they, they ha- they're 3-0 and oh right now. Uh, they've dispatched with one of the... the uh, top uh, contenders in the conference already in Greenville. Uh, I think Westminster out of Missouri uh, probably takes over the mantle right now as the uh, as the other top contender in that conference as they beat, Greens, uh, beat Greenville on Saturday. Uh, those are the uh, two undefeated teams along with Eureka uh, so far in uh, in conference play. And, and you know, it wouldn't look past a, a trip to, to Northwestern either. Sometimes that, that could be a, a tough game in that conference. But, yeah, you you go right down the schedule. And w- once they get past Greenville, you know, they beat Minnesota Morris now. Maybe, you know, the Westminster game, you get to the middle of Minnesota, they could run through Crown, Presentation, Martin Luther, Eureka at the end of the season. So uh, we could see a team in its fourth year also be, be a team in the playoffs. Remember, this is the first year uh, that the UMEC has an automatic bid. And even if they didn't have an automatic bid, if they ran the table and went 10-0, and they would have gotten in uh, no matter what. Uh, strength of schedule is not going to be very good. It'll be interesting to see where, how they get seeded as a 10-0 as a and team in the, you know, deep in the heart of the West bracket. But uh, again, this is what we do. We get to put the cart before the horse, uh, even though there are uh, seven weeks left to the regular season. It, tangent number 75 of this podcast, Keith, I don't think our I don't think uh, the next generation is going to understand what putting the cart before the horse means. Yeah, it's true. There, there aren't a whole lot of carts and, and horses uh, around anymore. But, you, Pat, you do bring up a, a interesting, I guess, point when it comes to the playoff bids is that now that we've added the the AQs for the UMAC and the ECFC is the other one that adds this year. Yep. So that leaves now just one Pool B bid. And you've got Wesley with a loss, and they only have six Division three games. So they 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 could be on shaky ground. Luckily, um, at least for for other Pool B teams, uh, you know, DePaul, the other team that we thought maybe a power team among the independents, uh, has already lost two games. And, and Huntington is three and one. We mentioned way earlier in the podcast where they lost to to Birmingham Southern. But you get this group now of of Pool Bs where uh, you know if if Wesley doesn't automatically take that bid, uh, or you know, I mean, if a uh, if a UAA team were to go undefeated, and they all have losses right now, but they, they could have actually squeezed Wesley out of a bid just by Wesley having lost that early game. So, with, with only one bid in Pool B, what I'm trying to say is that uh, it, it, there could be a lot of competition for that bid, or there could be uh, not much at all. Yeah, and for those of you who are unfamiliar with the terminology, just as a reminder, uh, there are conferences that get automatic bids, and then there are uh, six. Uh, bids that are truly runner-up bids or truly at-large bids. And then there's one that is set aside for the handful of teams and it's getting smaller and smaller every year that are not in an automatic bid conference. And that basically uh, encompasses the independents and uh, the UAA teams. And that's pretty much it at this point. Yeah, and, and we thought we pretty much had everything sorted out as far as the conferences were going in Division Three, And then you had the big SCAC move over the summer. You had DePaul leave uh, 
um, for for the North Coast, and Which we, now we, all of a sudden we have all these moves. We we almost had every. I mean, even with with Chapman finally joining the the Skyac, you know, we I think we were down there at one point. We were looking at maybe only three independents. You know, the the two. Um, you know, Salisbury and Frostwick State joined the Empire Eight, and we finally got it down to this small group, and then everything's all jumbled up again. Yep, Wesley will remain an independent. Uh, DePaul will be joining the NCAC next year. Uh, Lagrange will be joining the USA South. Huntington is kind of left out in the cold, but yeah, the uh, the the uh, the SCAC split means that there will be seven more teams back into Pool B consideration. So at least there will still be. A, uh, a pool B bid out there for somebody, perhaps Wesley, to earn in upcoming years. Um, looking ahead to week five, Keith, we kind of uh, teased this a little bit, but there are a, a lot of great games that just take uh, several minutes to run down them. But we talked about Platteville, for example. Uh, Platteville is going to get its chance to show what it can do against Whitewater here in week five. Uh, the uh, Ohio Northern, if it has a chance to bounce back, it's going to need to do it against Mount Union this week. Uh, that's uh, that's our, our purple power uh, outlook for this upcoming week anyway. Yeah, and those two teams, you know, they haven't um, quite been tested so far this season. This may be, these may be tests for them. You know, there may be games that, that turn out not to be tests for them. And so the thing that makes the two of them so dominant, and Mount Union has done this for, for much longer than Whitewater has, but they take really, really good Division three teams and make them look pedestrian. You know, you see those. We used to get excited for the the big Mount Union-John Carroll game or the big Mount Union-Ohio Northern game, and then it would be, you know, 35-7 or, you know, 57-19 or something like that. I know that's the playoff score, but, but I mean, we, we've learned over the years to not get too uh, excited about regular season clashes when Whitewater and Mount Union are involved because they're just so good that they may not always end up being good games. Yeah, and now it's been quite a while since um, since Whitewater lost a conference game. They've lost one WIAC game over the course of this uh, six-plus-year run that they've made to the national championship games. Uh, we mentioned Mary Harden-Baylor hosting Louisiana College. Uh, Linfield hosts Willamette. The one thing I find, of course, interesting is that Linfield, of course, has played just two games this season. And uh, you know, um, that I always wonder, when you get to week five and you've only played two games is there is there enough of a difference against a team that's played three or four I, i'd rather be the team that that played three or four you know you, you get better every week and, and you get better by playing games you know practice helps but the, that game experience you can't you can't replicate so if you got a team that's played four games a team that's only played two i would expect the team that's played four to, to, to be a little sharper St. John, St. Thomas, we've talked about that a couple times already. Uh, Alfred against St. John Fisher. You know, there'll be a, a few games this season, obviously, that will help uh, separate the, the the four or five contenders in the Empire 8, and this is a big one. Yeah, and I think, you know, we like I mentioned, there may be, may be down to two competitors in the, uh, in the Empire 8, unless we see something unexpected this week, and that's St. John Fisher getting the chance to bounce back. You know, you, you go down this list, Pat, of the games you mentioned so far, St. John's and St. John Fisher uh, really have a chance to, to salvage their seasons coming off bad weeks. And, you know, you can add this uh, co-ed co central game in here next. Um, you know, central's coming off a bad week. Chance to salvage the season when you turn around and play, you know, either your rival or the toughest team on your schedule. You can rewrite your, your story really quickly with, with one great week. Uh the Skyac gets off and running, and uh, with one of the biggest games of the season, with Cal Lutheran playing Redlands. Yeah, the, the, the Pack did this last last Saturday. 
the best, you know, the best two teams meet right here at the beginning of the schedule. You have Thomas Moore and Washington and Jefferson. Uh, Thomas Moore eat that one out uh, last Saturday, 35-33. And now you see the same thing across the country uh, in the Skyac, Redlands and Cal Lutheran. That's a game that, you know, if they had two separate divisions and, and there was a there was a title game, you know, those two teams would be the teams you, you would meet in that game. And instead, uh, the way the conference schedule works, Redlands has to go uh, all the way out to uh, to Thousand Oaks and, and play a big game against Cal Lutheran. And that's been um, a fun one to watch now for a couple of years. And, uh, and it'll be a big one in top 25 uh, circles, too. Big battle of unbeatens, and I'm not sure I would have pictured myself saying this before the year started. But uh, Adrian playing Trine this week. Yeah, I, I thought you were you were going to you were going to mention another one, but ah, see, Adrian exactly, exactly. But but, but it, yeah, it, it's been that sort of season. Yeah, a, Adrian um, off to a good start, and uh, Trine. You know, we, I didn't know what to expect from them because um, everything about them that program had been building up toward last season, and they they. Made the playoffs, won a playoff game, really gave Whitewater as tough a game as anyone gave them until the, until Mount Union and the Stag Bowl. And then a whole bunch of those seniors graduated and, and their, their Gilardi Trophy winning quarterback was gone and, and wondered if they would stumble out of the gate a little bit this season. They really haven't at all. And now uh, kind of this kind of this game for, for Michigan that conference fits in the same category with uh, with Redlands and Cal Lutheran. Maybe the best two teams in the conference meeting really early in the schedule. Were you expecting me to say uh, Wheaton, Illinois, Wesleyan? That's that's another one. You know, we we briefly talked about the CCIW, but yeah, you know, you you, you expect Wheaton. Not so sure about about Illinois Wesleyan. Uh, are they going to be in that in that group? Um, this is the fun part of the year where we, you, you watch these teams sort of define themselves. And uh, there have been years where Illinois Wesleyan's been been playoff worthy, and uh, you don't know if this year is going to be one of them until you get a chance to see them prove themselves against a team like Wheaton. Uh, also in the CCIW, uh, North Central takes on Carthage. Carthage is actually on the the unbeaten team, and as we know, North Central had the early season loss. Uh, one of the big uh, games uh, traditionally in the early season in the NESCAC is Trinity Connecticut takes on Williams. Uh, big game in the uh, Midwest Conference as well, Keith, with Monmouth playing St. Norbert. Yeah, and, and that one again, you know, we, we spent so much time talking about the Monmouth offense, but sometimes... Uh, it's can they play defense? Can they stop St. St. Norbert? Uh, you know, where the two teams match up and, and that one's got a little bit of a bitter history because uh, that, that wasn't close at all. Uh, that last season, I don't believe. And um, there may be some, you know, there's always bad blood when two teams are the two teams that play, um, you know, to, to decide the conference every year. And it's been Monmouth and St. Norbert for a few years now in that conference. But that, that was a 48-2 to two game last year. Yeah, that was and, the, uh, the Tanny-less uh, Monmouth Scots, yes. And right, they, right. So St. Norbert kind of poured it on. And I know, I know uh, Monmouth, uh, they have to go to De Pere, but I'm sure they, they'd love to come away with a victory in that one. And I'd like to wrap up uh, our kind of rundown of next week's schedule with uh, Hamlin McAllister. Uh, not that this is necessarily a game of national importance, but I keep looking for McAllister to maybe come back and beat a Mayak team one of these days. You know, McAllister less, left the conference, uh, you know, right before the, uh, uh, right after the 2001 season, and they've beaten just one MIAC team since. And and sort of validates the fact that they left the conference for for maybe the right reasons, uh, competitive reasons uh, among them, and. 
there still, though, remains in that conference, I think, a few teams on, on a year-to-year basis that McAllister could compete with, and, uh, and Hamlin is one of them. And so this, this is their opportunity, if they're on the way up, to, uh, to, to make a dent in that, uh, in that give that lonely win a, a friend, you know. We're coming up on the uh, on the end of our hour. Not that you know your machine would shut off or my machine would shut off at the end of the hour, because everybody knows we're certainly capable of talking for a lot longer than that if necessary. But uh, that is the Around the Nation podcast for the week of Monday, September 26th. Of course, coming up later, we'll have the uh, the D3 reports. They have a handful of them. Uh, we'll have uh, Play of the Week. We have some great Play of the Week nominations uh, sitting in the hopper already. We've already talked about one of those plays. We'll get a chance to take a look at it, or you can see it on the website. And then uh, Around the Region and Around the Nation, and we bring you back up to Week 5 coverage coming up later this week. For Keith McMillan, I'm Pat Coleman, and that's the Around the Nation podcast.